No Junk Mail Presents The Trading Post Chapter 8 Day 6 Once there was a light blue edge on the horizon, I could make out blurry shadows at the tree line. I was not sure how far it was because of the darkness. The sense of distance is distorted at night, and just then it was going from total blackness to where I could see shadows, and my imagination was starting to play tricks on me. I listened as hard as I could and strained my eyes to see. Was there a cougar just inside the tree line or not? As a few rays of light played on the scene, shapes started to firm up, but my sense of distance was still distorted. I probably couldn't have hit my target if I had one. Philip came to me, pistol in hand. He picked up a rock and told me he was going to throw it into the woods. The rock hit some ferns just inside the tree line, and we heard something move on the beach to our left. Philip let go a shot in that direction. I never saw anything, but Philip claimed something had been out there nosing around and then ran into the woods. The pistol shot woke everybody up. It was still too dark to go and see what might have been on the beach, and we were not about to leave our position. As the sky got brighter, we could see where east was, but the gathering clouds told us it was going to rain again. The beach took on a grayish-brown color, but the water was still black. Fog was hanging over the lake and had an eerie glow. It was about a foot off the water and maybe 30 feet high. We couldn't see far across the lake, but as the day progressed, the fog would burn off. It wasn't long till we could see our footprints where we'd come out of the woods the night before. Alex, Looney, Philip, and Enu left the beach and went into the woods a little ways, taking the pistol and rifle with them. They stayed right on the edge of the woods because we could see them moving around. Me, Billy, and Daryl stayed on the beach to guard the furs, but we were also ready to go to their aid with the spears if needed. It wasn't long till they came back to the beach. They said that it was still too dark in the woods to find tracks, but they did see fawn tracks down the beach where Philip had taken a shot. Perhaps the animal had been going to the lake for a drink. We got in a circle behind the spears for the next council to discuss where we were going and what was next. We also needed time for the sky to lighten up better so we could see what we were doing in the woods. We wondered if there was anything in there looking at us. We were spooked. Looney had the first question. Are we at Lake Merwin? Inu grunted. We took that for a yes. Which way is the trading post, Billy asked. Philip answered. Inu says west. When fog burns off, might see it. I took that to mean that we weren't sure how far it was to the trading post, but we would find out soon. We talked about how long it would take to get to the trading post, what we would do when we got there, how long it would take to get home from there, and a hundred other things, all without taking our eyes off the entrance to the woods. As we talked, a damp, misty, almost rain fell on us. With nothing else to do, we made plans. The first thing we had to do was to scout the area for tracks to see if anything dangerous had come close. Second, when we felt more secure, we needed to find some food. 
Third, we needed a lean-to to protect us from the rain. Fourth, we needed a cook fire. Last, we needed to figure out which way it was to the trading post. We didn't come up with how that was going to happen and dropped the topic for a time being. We had lots of other things to do, particularly to find food and make a cook fire. We had not eaten much the day before, but more importantly, we all felt insecure. I could see it in how we talked and how we constantly scanned the edge of the forest. In the time that we were waiting for the fog to lift, Daryl and Alex came up with a plan to find the direction to the trading post. The plan was based on a magazine Daryl and Alex had seen. Alex's dad's submarine group had been to the Hawaiian Islands, and he had brought the magazine home. In the magazine were pictures of outriggers. Outriggers were simple boats made of narrow, dugout logs with small sails. To keep them from tumbling over, a small log was attached to the side by poles. Daryl and Alex were convinced that we could make a sailless outrigger from the driftwood on the beach. Enu agreed that if we could get out into the lake, we might be able to see the trading post. The only problem we had left to solve was the paddle. An outrigger without a sail requires paddles to get out in the lake. Philip told us he had made paddles out of crotched wood, big leaves, pine boughs, and string. We felt good about this idea. It would be fun to build the outrigger, and it would help us get home sooner. However, the first thing we had to do was secure our camp. When we thought it was light enough, we scouted the immediate forest area for tracks of anything that might be a threat to us. We decided that if we all went together, nothing would attack us. Eno took point position. He had the rifle. Philip took the left flank with the pistol. I had the right flank with the sword. Alex, Billy, Daryl, and Looney took up rear guard positions with their spears. They walked backwards behind us, creating a protective rear guard wall. We were on high alert. We didn't know what to expect. We moved slowly, crisscrossing back and forth about a hundred feet or so on both sides of the opening to the beach. When we finished that section, we went deeper into the forest. Crisscrossing is the best way to find tracks that are not on a trail. We were making noise on purpose to scare anything away that was there. When we found the first cougar track, it took our breath away. It was the track of a very large male. Then Enu took over. He told us to keep our eyes open for trouble. The tracks led us deeper into the woods. We followed them for a hundred feet or so and then came back to where we found the original track. After that, we continued to crisscross the area. We found the male and female tracks several times. Inu said the track showed us that they had wandered around, keeping tabs on us through the night. To the left of where we camped, and about 30 feet into the woods, we found evidence of a recent kill, a fawn. Cougar tracks were all around the kill spot, and we could see blood and pieces of hide, but not the carcass. We thought that it had been taken away. There were no drag marks on the ground. The fawn was small enough for the male cougar to have picked it up in his mouth and walked away with it. 
We followed the tracks into the wood about 300 feet and found the chewed remains. The bones, hides, and innards, the tracks led further into the woods. Inu signed, danger. We froze, held our breath, and scanned the shadows. I was looking to the right when Inu fired a shot. When the smoke cleared, we were like statues. Then we slowly and cautiously moved, following the direction that Inu had shot towards. About 50 feet away, we found cougar tracks and blood. Inu had hit the cougar, but it was not a kill. We repeated to each other that we had seen two sets of tracks. Were they setting a trap for us? Where were they? We stood still, searching for anything that looks out of place, anything that moved, anything that looked suspicious. Our bodies were rigid, and our eyes darted from side to side. In one powerful leaf, a cougar landed 20 feet behind us. The cougar made a second bound, moving full speed towards us, and smashed into the rear guard. Philip, off balance and falling down, twisted and fired the pistol at the cougar. At almost the same time, Inu fired his rifle at the other cougar that was charging us from the front. The cougar charging from the front fell at Inu's feet and did not move. After making sure it was dead, Inu turned around and saw a flurry of action. In an instant, he jumped towards the tangled heap of shifting boys and cougar. I turned too, but my feet wouldn't move, and I fell down. After I picked myself back up, there was too much going on, and we were all too close together for me to hack at the cougar with the sword. I saw that a spear had pierced the body of the big cat, and it was sticking out the other side. The huge cat broke free, then spun and raked at Billy with its huge claws. It issued a fierce scream, which was terrifying, but we pushed back our fear to fight the cougar. The enraged cat plunged into the group a second time, and the rear guard collapsed to the ground. Some were on the side, and some underneath the big cat. I saw Philip had pressed a fighting stick across the open mouth of the cougar, keeping the fangs from ripping away at him. When I finally got close enough to help, I tripped again and fell right beside Billy. Alex and Daryl were on the ground under the cat. Looney had been struck by the cougar's claws and was just lying there, knocked to one side. I saw some blood on him. It was a wild, screaming fight, and all we had were our fighting sticks. Philip had lost the pistol when he fell down. Inu had the rifle but couldn't shoot because we were in the way. Finally, Inu smashed the cougar in the head with the butt of his rifle. It stunned the cat and gave us a split second to recover. This cougar was huge. At that moment, it probably looked ten times bigger to us than it really was, but it was a monster. I could hear others yelling, but my heart was pounding so loud I couldn't hear what they were saying. I had a deep scratch on my hand, but I didn't know how I got it. Billy had blood on his face. Daryl and Alex were still trapped under the cougar and were desperately, desperately trying to free themselves. Philip and Inu crouched on each side of the cougar, watching it carefully. Then, as if the big cat had been resurrected, it flipped onto its feet and leapt away from us. Spear still stuck through its body. Still very much alive and staring at us with those terrible fangs, it hissed. Before Inu could get a shot off, it was gone. 
It moved 20 feet in a single leap. In two bounds, it was out of sight. We were making so much noise, we couldn't hear where it was. And not knowing where it was meant we couldn't relax. I turned around and panicked as I stumbled over the other cougar. Then I remembered it was dead, shot through the head. Philip checked everybody out. I was fine, more or less. Despite being knocked out for the second time, Looney was also in pretty good shape. He had some scratches, but nothing serious. Although Billy had blood on his face, he wasn't wounded, and he thought the blood might have been the cougar's or Daryl's. Daryl's shoulder was bleeding badly. Billy removed his shirt, then tore a sleeve off to make a tourniquet for Daryl's shoulder. That stopped the bleeding. Alex, who was still lying down, was pale from the pain and was bleeding from puncture wounds in his chest and a scratch on his neck. Alex held his hands over the puncture wounds to stop them from bleeding. His wounds would easily have been fatal if the cougar had dug in any further. The story continues on Chapter 9.